Alrighty, we're back. Episode 16 on this go podcast today. This evening, I'm joined by Dr. Dependu Saha. Hello, Dr. Saha. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Um, Christmas is in two days. Uh, feels like yesterday I was starting my uh, spring semester as a junior, and now all of a sudden, um, <laughs> Christmas is two days away. So for a <laughs> pandemic-fested year, it went by <laughs> really quickly, as usual. Yes. So... You got any plans for the holidays? Or you just in the lab? Mostly in the lab and in the room, uh, typing something or doing some experiments, mostly. Yeah. Well, I'm look, we're, we're definitely going to look forward to what you have to say about your research because I know it's really, really interesting. Um, for those who don't know, Dr. Dr. Saha is a chemical engineering professor here at Widener University. He does some pretty groundbreaking stuff. But before we get into that, I want to start with this. Dr. Saha, where, where are you from? Are you like, where did you, you grow up? Uh, I was from India. My city was Calcutta. Now its name is Kolkata. Uh, it is a, a city in the eastern part of India where I grew up and stayed before I left for United States. How, how long did you live in Calcutta before you moved to the United States? Uh, I left for USA in August of 2006. Oh, so you were there for a while. So I was there until then. Did you get your undergraduate degree there? Yes, I got my undergraduate degree and master's degree in chemical engineering, both from India. Is Calcutta, is that a big city in India? I'm not familiar with it. Yes, it is quite, it is one of the four metropolitan cities of India. Uh, under the British rule, Kolkata was the capital of India. But in the year of 1913, Kolkata was uh, New Delhi, was turned as the new capital of India. And until that, after that, Delhi is still capital of India. Now, if someone were to go visit like Calcutta, like what do you like? What is something maybe that someone that has to go try? Like you have to go see this over in Calcutta. Uh, there are a few things. Uh, for example, uh, Victoria Victoria Memorial Hall has a famous bridge called Howrah Bridge on the River Ganges, hmm. and there are a few other tourist spots along the river or in the city. Uh, after I left, I think there are many things were built on also. I mean, right now I could not, I could not count. <laughs> of course, you should not forget to test the street foods of Kolkata. Mm. What's your it's, favorite Indian dish? Like, what is your favorite like dish that you that either you you make yourself or like you you try? Well, uh, first of all, I am as a background is called Bengali, and mm. my favorite dish is fish. Just fish. Uh, in Kolkata, in India, you get many fish from river. Mm. Uh, you can fry them or make curry with them out of many spices. And also my other favorite dish are kind of rice-based dish and chicken, something called biryani. Maybe you heard the name. And I have yeah, not heard of that. Indian food. No. Um, I, well, I mean, I, I, I've been to, I don't know, have you ever heard of um, Sherry Punjab in media? Yes, yes. Yeah. I owned that several times. Yeah, yeah. Before, I guess there's new ownership now, but before it used to be the, it used to, it was like a, basically a buffet and you would go there. And I, I, I don't know how authentic it is, but I don't, it, I thought it was delicious. Um, the chicken tikka masala is always my favorite dish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do not want to say any specific, but I would say that if you want to really taste a delicious and authentic food, 
authentic Indian food, you should go to some restaurants in Philadelphia. Like I think New Delhi restaurant or like that in Philadelphia. I have been in New Delhi. It's awesome. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I have been in New Delhi. There are two, three restaurants in Philadelphia. And so, Shuri Punjab, I think, is not not even close to them. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, but it's wasn't close to our home. That's true. Well, it stinks now because Philadelphia is closed. So yes, correct. Well, now you can't even you can't even get some some food. But yes. Um, so you grew up in Calcutta. Now, where did you where did you think that your like first like when did you realize you wanted to become a chemical engineering major or like to pursue that um, in your undergrad? Yeah, my original interest grew from the subject of chemistry, not exactly chemical engineering. Mm. In the late middle school, standard eight, uh, we began studying chemistry at school. From that time, I fell in love with that. And at the grade 10, we have to take something called an additional course, which can be any of the science or arts course, like physics, chemistry, math, sociology like that. I chose chemistry and I became even close to that. Mm. So I would say from that time, I decided that I would pursue the study in chemical sciences or chemical technology as a major. So was your undergraduate degree then in chemistry or chemical engineering? Chemical engineering. And when, like, what, what was it about chemical engineering that you said, yeah, I really want to do that? Um, besides just the chemistry, because chemical engineering isn't just chemistry, right? So Correct. Uh, what happens, the beginning of chemical engineering was started, I would say, is a bit of misunderstanding mm. because I thought chemical engineering is just chemistry and the applied chemistry because I loved chemistry. Mm. But when I went there, I saw chemical engineering is not really chemistry. And even it is far more distant from chemistry compared to United States. The reason is that uh, in US, at least in Widener, what I saw, whatever you learn in organic chemistry, physical chemistry, and even mathematics and physics, we completed those in the high school. And therefore we had many more engineering courses and engineering labs in our curriculum. For example, we had separate labs for heat transfer, mass transfer, control, fuel lab, those kinds of stuffs. That means you will feel that you are more distant from chemistry in Indian chemical engineering curriculum, at least in my college, mm. compared to in the US. We have only one course on physics and chemistry in the first year, and that's it. But what happens when I was continuing chemical engineering, I thought I like it, and I like it very much. Mm-hmm. And it continued till master's degree. But when I came to PhD, I took a project which is mainly a chemistry project. Mm-hmm. It felt like chemistry came back to me like an old girlfriend <laughs> and put a gun on me and told me either marry me or I'll shoot you. <laughs> I had no option. I got married with chemistry for research, not for the curriculum. That sounds like a great one. And uh, I like chemistry and chemical engineering both at this point. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. So where where was where where was your undergrad again? I uh, something called Vidyashagar University. It's a local university in my place. It's a gotcha. small college. Gotcha. And I find it fascinating that you that you said that um, you took basically what organic physics and all the tough yes. chemistry courses in high school? 
yes our primary chemistry was done in the middle school basic basic organic you know alkane ch bond alkane alkene alkyne benzene ring both mm. done in middle school and high school learned in very quite depth physical chemistry organic chemistry and part of inorganic chemistry now do you think and that also learn all the differential equations as well gotcha so do you think that there is like an advantage to learning like these applied sciences so early on so that by the time you get to college you are more adept to it or correct what happens in our time of oh, i think same now also the high school was two year class 11 and 12 those i believe are the most difficult and toughest time of my life really i think it's more true for most of the students uh, no time to do anything else even no time to eat proper food up talk to your parents right. so so busy but that means when you go to the college engineering curriculum your first one year two year becomes quite relaxing not that much pressure in here we learned even in thermo up to second law of thermo we learned in high school under physics now are these like are we talking like they were teaching you like the applications of all these sciences or was it like we're talking like straight math problems like they would like we're talking like they gave you this 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 problem and you have to do all these calculations or is it more like theoretical and like you thought about what's actually happening in a system you know what i mean uh, both ways we had all the exams had two parts one part was the short questions mm. and those were done uh, mostly on the theoretical part we had the other part the longer questions those were the prob- mathematical problems and another difference was there i don't know about the other teachers but you know all the exams i give it as, as a open book mm. remember in transport class but in in india there was absolutely no no open books thing in engineering we have to memorize all the formula and the reactions and the equations yeah that that seems a bit ridiculous um i mean i can <laughs> look up the formulas but i think i would say now it's really more important that you're understanding like why yeah, these equations are important mean. yeah so why these equations are important and how to actually use them so because at the end of the day like i mean i think a grade to grade like it is what it is but am i actually understanding what's going on that has to be the priority i agree with you yes um so okay so you you go through undergrad um you're getting your your degree in chemical engineering when did you like decide like yeah you know i actually want to go get my phd because you actually got your phd in chemical engineering here at new mexico state right correct correct so when did you come to that decision yeah i think that happened at the later part of my undergraduate curriculum mm-hmm. when i first chose engineering i think my primary target was to get a job because in natural engineering people get the job faster than other people but while continuing the study i believe from the third year beginning of third year i got the feelings in my mind that i want to go for the research field and go for a phd and that's why that's the beginning yeah so well then the obvious like why why go to new mexico state right um like what so how did how did that opportunity arise like how did you find out about that yeah uh, i think uh at that time all the schools i chose it depends on my seniors in my undergraduate college where they went 
Mm. I did not got that much, did not get that much of a scope to talk to other people to get their advice. So I looked for my seniors in my college where they went. Uh, I think two of them went to New Mexico State University. I applied there and, and I got chance. That was, I think, the main reason. Yeah. And so, all right, so then you move over to the United States. How was that transition? Like, like the, I mean, it must, I mean, it's obviously got to be like a culture shift, right? What, what were, when you first came over here, like what were the, some of the main differences that stuck out like right away? Well, the first difference I observed is that uh, nobody is cooking for me. My mom <laughs> used to cook for me. <laughs> but there with the roommate, I and my roommate used to cook all the foods. Yeah. Uh, first difference. And second difference, partly in, in the college, the way we communicate uh, with the other students, with the faculty is slightly different. For example, I can give you one quick example. In here, you talk to other professors like Dr. X, like Dr. Saha, something like that. In US, most of the cases we call him Sir or Madam. Hmm. It's more formal. It's, it's very formal. I kind of yeah. like, oh, actually, Sir Luby or Sir Saha. They hmm. call all these, yeah, sometimes Sir, but we call the professor mostly Sir. Or oh, okay, without their last name or yeah. surname. Uh, well, I don't know if I like that now. I kind of like doctor in front of it. That's more formal. <laughs> I like that more. Um, so, okay. So now you're at, so now you're at New Mexico state. Um, man, where is New Mexico state? Like where is that in Albuquerque? Yeah. A city called Las Cruces at the very Southern end of New Mexico, very close to Mexico border. And how is, how and is that the other school? I think that is called University of New Mexico. You went yeah. University in Albuquerque. Of Albuquerque. So how was how was the city life down there? Like what's like what's there to do? It's a very small city, uh, and uh, everything is kind of far away. It's mm. beautiful, nice mountains are there. Are mm. uh, not that cold, so still I like it. I mean, compared to Philadelphia and that place, is <laughs> is completely different geographical scenario. Yeah, small number of people. Yeah. Um, so, all right, so you're at New Mexico State. What's your dissertation on? Like, what did you, what did you research throughout your time? Uh, my research was that on the absorption of hydrogen and carbon dioxide in nanoporous materials. That's oh, kind of what you're doing now. Yes, the major part of my nanoporous materials originally came from my PhD work. Now mm -hmm. I kind of diversified the area, including many other objects into the field. Mm -hmm. So... Um, so can you talk about that research a little bit? So like, what did, like, what did you do? Um, and then like, what were your, some of your conclusions? Sure. <clears throat> uh, during PhD, the adsorption of hydrogen was important because people are talking about fuel cells as mm -hmm. fuel source. One fuel cell was PEM fuel cell, P-E-M, I think it stands for proton exchange membrane. In that fuel cell, hydrogen is the fuel. It is called the most clean fuel source because your product is just water mm. and you get electricity out of the fuel cell. The problem of the technology was how do you store that much hydrogen specifically for automobile applications? Mm. You can easily put a PEM fuel cell, but driving the car, the hydrogen tank is ridiculous. It's hazardous and it's also uh, costly and heavy. 
So the purpose was somehow store hydrogen gas in other medium. There are few approaches. One approach is to store them in the nanoporous materials. I don't want to go in detail scientific jargon, but the whole scenario is in the nano-sized pore, when a gas is adsorbed, the density of the adsorbed phase gas is much, 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 much higher compared to gas phase density at the same temperature and pressure. Essentially means, let's see if you want to store hydrogen gas at 100 bar pressure and room temperature. Mm. At this condition, density of the gas inside porous materials is much, 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 much higher compared to the bulk state at the same condition. Mm. That happens because of the physics, whatever is going on inside the pores. And so, okay, yeah, because I know I, I know in the past like people talked about like hydrogen fuel cells and like using hydrogen as like a like a fuel source, but what are the problems facing like actually making that happen, right? I mean, we talked about it a little earlier. I mean, hydrogen, I'm sure it's expensive, but trying to contain it and it's really flammable, right? So yeah, I know there are some cars who have PM fuel cells, but I don't think hydrogen storage is that much commercialized. The whole project is kind of dead as yeah. per the federal funding is concerned, mm -hmm. because of the issue of the volumetric density uh, of the materials. People develop uh, adsorbent with very large surface area, but things, the materials are very fluffy, big volume. Mm -hmm. So how can you store big volume in the cars? Yeah. And other approach was to store metallic hydrides, chemical storage and heat the hydrides to form hydrogen, but they have the different sets of disadvantages. Overall, it is not that much commercially successful to the best of my knowledge. Yeah, I, I, I don't think, I don't know how it, how it would be, but while hydrogen may not be the best application of um, nanoporous materials, yes, there are other gases that would definitely work, right? And I think so, okay, so you finished up your dissertation there. Um, before we get to your research, so were you, did you go to industry at all after you graduated or did you go right into teaching? Uh, no, uh, my industry experience is basically negligible. I think com combining India and US, I got an industry job for twice or thrice. Either declined them or or left the company after a few days of job. You did? I did not <laughs> like the industry. Maybe yeah. I did not go to a right industry or big industry, but I found that I do not like the industry atmosphere. I like academia better. You got hired. So, you went yeah, you got hired, you went to, for the officer a couple of days and then you just packed up your stuff and left. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's legendary. So how did you, so then, okay. So you don't like industry jobs. Was, I assume, was that like your only reason you said, okay, yeah, let me go be a professor or were there other factors? Yes, I always wanted to come to an academia starting from my PhD degree. Mm -hmm. So therefore after PhD, I did a couple of postdoctoral uh, positions then applied for a position for faculty. Where did you do some of your postdocs? Uh, right after PhD, I'd have a short postdoc in University of Quebec at Trois-Rivières mm. in Canada. Nice. the province of Quebec. I was there for only six months. The problem was uh, it was very cold and people do not speak English. The French-speaking uh, village. Yeah, my, my I lived there. Sorry? I said my previous guest I had on, he's from, he's from Montreal. Basically, if you need to speak English or French. And well, a lot yes. of cities speak French, like that's it. 
Yeah, Montreal is better. Montreal is a big city. People are bilingual. They speak mm-hmm. both French and, and, and English. But Trois-Rivières, uh, I think about two or three hours east of Montreal. Okay. And people absolutely don't speak English. <laughs> I would say that sometimes they know, but they don't want to speak. Yeah, do they speak um, Indian? Is that, the, is that the native language? And they're all French, French-speaking people. They anyway so after because language yeah go ahead is indian is indian a language or am i being really ignorant no uh in india the most common language is hindi hindi okay uh, after that second common language is bengali which is my language india has total 14 official languages 14 languages is it just there are many many local dialects yeah wait why <laughs> Oh, because there are many provinces of India, uh, they speak different languages. Mm. And the current shape of India was given by the British government when British colonized India. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Otherwise, they were independent kings and monarchs. They yeah. ruled different parts of India. Mm. That makes sense. Okay, so you have a couple of postdocs. Um, and then, so then how did you like arrive at Widener? Like how did that situation come, up, come about? Well, uh, at the end of postdoc, I thought I would do job in a smaller university, not in a big school, mm. but not too small because I wanted to do both teaching and research. So size of the Wagner was good. So when Wagner accepted my uh, Wagner offer, give me the offer, I accepted the position and joined Wagner. And now we're here for the big enchilada. So what is the research you're doing here at Wagner now? Yeah, uh, the major part of my research is still nanoporous materials with various applications. I no longer do hydrogen adsorption, of course. Uh, my current project actives one is the hydrocarbon separation, which means separation of ethane ethylene and propane propylene, that is alkane alkene separation. Uh, whenever it's any, any plastic, those are mostly polyethylene or polypropylene those are produced from ethylene or propylene. But the problem is that how do you get pure ethylene and propylene? Pure means 99.5%. Those guys are produced majorly, major, in majority by dehydrogenation of the corresponding alkene. That means ethylene from ethane and propylene from propane. Mm. But because of the reaction constraints, reaction is never complete. You will get 20 to 40% conversion. So basically you have the mixture of the alkene alkene. The current process is that because they have a very small difference in boiling points in cryogenic range, of course, you can separate by something called cryogenic distillation. Hmm. It is very similar to, to the normal distillation, except they boil in a cryogenic range. But the problem is that uh, that is very, very expensive, very hazardous, and not sustainable at all. Mm-hmm. So people started to develop the nanoporous materials to see if any particular nanoporous material or adsorbent can selectively absorb either alkene or alkene and make the separation happen. Now, what is what? What are some like like? Why is it important to even separate like ethylene from ethylene and propane from propylene? Like what? Like, why should anyone care? Yeah, that is what I said. We uh, we can produce ethylene and propylene 
by the dehydrogenation of ethane or propane but the reaction never completes mm. it is done up to 20 to 40% conversion only so the product mixture contains the mixture of ethanethylene or propane propylene but you need pure 99.5% ethylene or propylene so how to get it yeah i meant so only have to separate them from the mixture yeah i mean i meant like i mean like why like why should anyone care that you're separating propylene from propane not like not like how it's done you know what i mean oh, okay okay yeah uh, ethylene is a precursor of the plastic polyethylene and propylene is a precursor of the plastic polypropylene mm. and those plastics have very very vast application in both daily life and industrial life to produce those plastics you need to get the the monomer the precursor which is ethylene or propylene mm. gotcha okay that makes more sense so so then how do you do it then like wh- what do you like how do you, what do you do so what uh, we proposed and got the money from american chemical society as a research grant uh, we put some specific metals uh, silver or copper one onto the porous carbon adsorbent what those metals uh, do something called pi complexation they make a complex with the pi bond of the alkene ethylene and propylene thereby selectively adsorbed the ethylene from the mixture of ethylene and ethane and same for propylene and therefore the separation is possible and what have you found so far like have you any had any success so far yes we uh, i have one publication so far and working on the other projects one of the projects is carried out by my senior project group uh, this year so far we found that yes uh, it is possible to selectively adsorb ethylene and propylene from their corresponding alkene ethane or propane which metal which metal works best like which transition metal uh for the published paper we use silver one silver ion and the second case uh we used copper ion uh problem of copper is that copper one is unstable it has tendency to oxidize to copper 2 but copper 2 does not work so it's difficult to maintain copper 1 so we so far we have only one successful story of copper 1 uh synapid is working on silver again because silver is much easier to work than mm. copper that's how do you think i could um get that publication that you have already submitted and i can like post it to the youtube channel so if anyone wants to read your sure i have one publication already available on the website i'll give you the link or the thank or the yeah. manuscript itself thank you yeah so for any of the viewers out there that want to read about go in more detail about it, your findings and your research more than welcome to do that um and the other part yeah and the other part of uh, nanoporous materials are the separation of rare earth elements i have the fund from national science foundation mm a uh, rare earth elements are the 17 elements 15 lanthanides and yttrium and scandium these guys are very important because all the modern gadgets they cannot run without them for example this cell phone it has almost all of the rare earth elements doing something yeah all the electronic gadgets military applications satellites they cannot run with the rare earths the problem is that they available only in the small quantities and the other countries strongly control the export of those metals 
and in other words, modern life is impossible without those elements. So one sustainable way is to collect those used devices. For example, when you buy new iPhone, you discard the old iPhone. If it is possible to collect those metals from the old phones and other gadgets in a sustainable fashion and enrich the metals, you'll have a continuous and sustainable economy. So that was the overall goal. We used porous carbon and we functionalized the porous carbon with something else. And we saw that we are able to enrich a majority of the rare earth elements, if not all. Mm -hmm. that's, that's really interesting. We have a publication also from that project from my master's student last year. Oh yeah, I'll, I, whatever, whatever publications you got, definitely send them my way. And you know, if anyone wants to go ahead and read them. I never even thought about recycling a phone. Like sometimes I like, I'm just looking at my phone right now and oh, look at this thing, it's like all metal. But have you ever like looked inside a phone? Like all the, all the electronic stuffs inside, they are the part of the red elements, very small amount, but they're very important. Even just the screws. Like some one time I had to change a battery and the screws in here are so tiny. Like I don't even, it's honestly a work of art, I think. <laughs> yes. Um, but I mean, there are, I don't even know how many metals are probably in there right now. Just like making that phone work and making our world work. Yeah, you know? for example, in, in, a, uh, you know, in the computer hard disk, it has the neodymium inside. Uh, that's also used to produce world's strongest permanent magnet, neodymium magnet. Uh, it's super strong. So once the computer is being used, it is possible to recycle the hard disk to recover the precious metals and recycle them. Where are where are um, the earth metals being deposited now? Like where where are they commonly found? I think there is no industrial or commercial way of recycling because these are still under research. But mm -hmm. people are trying to come up to make the economy sustainable and running because modern society simply cannot last uh, without the presence of these metals. It's impossible. Wow. Okay. So there's no there's not even industry to recycle these things. I, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think so. Hmm. That's really interesting. Well, hopefully that we figure that out because, well, there's a sustainable resource right there that we haven't even yes. like unlocked yeah, yet. Definitely. So Dr. Shah, what do you think like some of your like, favorite moments are like as a, as a professor? Like, what do you think you look back on? It's like, wow, that was really cool when that happened. Uh, at Widener, I, I can recall two moments uh, regarding teaching and research. Uh, regarding teaching, uh, when the first time I saw the students, uh, you know, appreciated my teaching and teaching style, this very satisfying. My first semester was not good because I was new in the teaching, my first time teaching. So after that, when I corrected and developed myself and the good comments came, they really liked and it's one of the best moments. And regarding research, I wrote my first grant in my first semester, fall 2013. And I got the grant by American Chemical Society by another project, storage of natural gas. That was funded and getting own funds in universities also very satisfying and memorable. So two distinct moments are there. Yeah. And recently, didn't you travel to Belgium? Wasn't that before the COVID you traveled? Yes, I traveled, uh, we, I and two students went to Belgium in very last of February. I think right after that from March, everything became very bad and travel was banned. Yeah, in that uh, 
uh, conference, one of the students, Colleen Unsworthy, presented the rare element work, and the other student presented the separation of ethane ethylene from the silver duct carbons. It was a very good uh, conference. That's and awesome. That's, that's the one thing I miss, like presenting research in like other universities and stuff like that. And we can kind of do it virtually, but it's not the same thing as traveling. But yes. hopefully, hopefully we're gonna get that vaccine. We're gonna go back to normal hopefully. life. Yes, I'm getting the vaccine. I know that. Um, Dr. Shaha, what's some like? Oh, hang on, we got some ice going on. Um, what's some advice that you give to like students, um, whether like they're prospective students or like just something that you say to like um, maybe people like that want to enter chemistry and chemical engineering? Like, what, what's some advice that you like to give? Well, if someone wants to come to the science and technology, the main thing I would say is the very beginning that uh, the most important part is the curiosity about all the happenings and non-happenings surrounding them. And very simple thing uh, that's happening near them and try to understand and generate the curiosity within themselves, I think is the main driving force to study science and engineering. Even the simplest thing, how a water purifier works in a fan, why air blows in one side, not the other side? Those simple questions, I think, can lead to the study. Secondly, I think uh, when people go to the college, I would say uh, do not be afraid to see the difficult subjects because some things may be very new, maybe intimidating, but you need to uh, keep trust on yourself and learn from mistakes and continue your effort. You should be successful. And lastly, the old fashioned way, uh, there is no alternative of hard work. Whatever you work, uh, work hard and it will be paid out at some point. There yeah. is no shortcut way of learning on doing good things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very general advice. You gotta be perseverant and you gotta be, gotta be a hard worker. That goes, that goes a long way. I'm gonna ask you this because you probably know the answer to this. I've actually never thought about that. Why does a fan blow cold air and then it doesn't blow air the other way. Like, do you know the answer to that? I think that I can't give you a mathematical answer, but in the qualitative answer is that, uh, that because of aerodynamics, the flan, fan blades are carved in such a way, it pulls, draws air from the back and delivers it to the other. Uh, if you want to know exactly how you need to go to something called, I think CFD, computational fluid dynamics. But the, the blades of the fan is carved in that way. It must pull air from one side and blow it to the other side. Well, if you ever need um, interesting facts, please go to Dr. Saha, because he knows a lot about um, a lot of things. He knows a lot about a lot of things, and he knows a lot of math equations. So um, <laughs> math is definitely one of his strong suits. Um, but yeah. Taksha, I want to thank you so much for hopping on the show today. Um, it was excellent. Well, for one, seeing you, and two, just speaking to you. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you very much. All righty, everyone. Thank um, you. If, if you like the content, be sure to like and subscribe. Well, I think, you know, what we'll do is we'll, we'll wait until the, maybe the end of spring semester. We'll bring Dr. Saha back on. He could tell us what their senior project group figured out about their, uh, their results. But until then, it's been a pleasure. All righty, thank you, everyone. Bye.